Romans chapter number 7, and if you're visiting with us tonight, uh, hopefully you received a copy of the outline. Uh, anybody did not get a copy of the outline? I want to make sure everybody got one. Anybody at all? Brother Gus, let's got a few there. All right, and so if you would turn with me, I'll let you remain seated tonight. We're going to approach the text, uh, the text is the entire chapter tonight, as we've just been going on Sunday nights over the last, I uh, believe, 13 Sunday nights with a few uh, breaks in between, uh, talking about really what the book of Romans, I believe, is all about, and that is having the right standing with God. And uh, we're just trying to get God's sent on, on uh, this matter of this book that he's given to us in, in our, our Bible, which was a letter that was written to the, those that were in Rome. And uh, of course, we started out talking about how everybody is guilty before God, and we have uh, gone through some tremendous chapters, chapter 4, chapter 5, dealing with justification, chapter 6 last week. And so tonight, just like what's going on in the world today, notice the title of the message tonight is There's a War Going On. And just about every day you turn on the television and you see on the news that uh, in Syria and Turkey and other places there's, there's war, there's unrest. And uh, this is something that as, as you look at the Word of God, uh, I don't know about you, but I, I find in my own life that I struggle from time to time. Uh, it seems like every day as a Christian is, is a battle. If you're going to live the Christian life, you're going you're gonna to deal with things. And uh, again, it, it, it all boils down to, are you, are you living, walking in the Spirit, or are you living according to the flesh? And uh, that makes all the difference. Because uh, again, God, is, uh, God it provides peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But many times what we do is we give in to the flesh uh, because of, of our nature, and as a result of that, we struggle. Anybody else tonight besides me struggle from time to time? Uh, listen, I, I, we're in company tonight because God allowed the Apostle Paul to be the, the one that penned these words that we're about to look at tonight. I really feel from studying the Word of God over these 30-some years now, that Paul was probably uh, one of the greatest Christians that ever lived on this earth outside of the Lord Jesus. And if Paul struggled the way he did, then certainly all of us can, can realize in our life, if Paul struggled, then certainly when I do, it's nothing new. It's, it's something that, again, we're, we're dealing with the flesh. As long as we're in this body, we're going to uh, we're going to struggle from time to time. And you ever, you ever thought about this? Why, why did God include to Christians 1 John 1, 9? Does anybody know what 1 John 1, 9 is? We have confessed our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. Now that was written to Christians. Now, some people treat a verse like that in the Bible as an excuse to sin, to do what they want. You know, some people say, well, once saved, always saved. That may be true. That's a Bible principle. But again, it does not give us a license to just do what we want. Because again, God's not pleased when we live according to the flesh instead of living in the spirit of God. 
So when we look at this chapter tonight, chapter 7 is a chapter where uh, I feel that as we come to it that our adversary, and you know we have one, right? Uh, the devil is always after us, and our adversary, uh, again, has dealt with this, and it's asking, what then is the purpose of the law? Sometimes people ask that question, well, again, why, why have the law? What is the purpose of it? Well, all the way back in chapter number three, and we won't go back tonight, but in chapter three of the book of Romans, Paul had already declared that the keeping of the law did not allow a person to obtain righteousness just by keeping the law. Look, look at the verse there. I gave you Romans 3.20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh, no flesh, be justified in his sight by the keeping of the law, by the deeds of the law. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So man's nature is oftentimes to find self-accomplishment in this area of salvation. In other words, by his own effort, trying to be saved by his own works, or in this case, by his obedience to the law. Man wants a salvation, as the lady just sang about, that they can boast about, that they can brag about. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should what? Boast. See, that's what man is looking for, is a salvation that he can claim, that he has earned it, or he has the right to it. You know what we deserve? We deserve hell. But again, man is looking for something that he feels that he can earn. The law, oftentimes referred to in the book of Romans, is not a means of salvation. The law, the Bible says, the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. We're not saved by the law. Now, there's a purpose behind it. Understand that <clears throat> this matter of salvation comes the, with the knowledge of sin, that sin is something that we deal with, and sin, even to this day, is still man's greatest enemy. Sin is a foe that wants to capture us, and sin wants to rule us. And that's why as we are saved and we're in Christ, we're still in the flesh, and that is what brings us to Romans chapter number 7, because as we get to this chapter, there are three divisions which really entails the whole chapter, chapter 7. And these are divisions of mankind that God gave to Paul to write down and their relationship to the law and to sin. In other words, Romans 7 is a record of what some would call spiritual warfare. So let's break it down tonight into these three divisions of mankind because what you find when you look at these three are we clearly see the victors, we see the losers, and we see the strugglers. And I don't know where you're at tonight, but I hope that you're living on the victory side of the Christian life, which is where God intends us to be. So notice the first division of mankind. Number one is the spiritual man, and the chapter begins that way. And again, I think that God makes no mistakes the way 
he gives certain things in order. How many of you notice as you read your Bible, God gives many times, even this morning in Ephesians 4, God gives us what I would call lists, uh, where God will list certain things. Like, for instance, the fruit of the Spirit or fruits of the Spirit, it's a list. Everybody would know what I'm talking about. And I always pay attention because I think God does it in, in, in the order that he wants us to look at and understand. And the same thing is true when you come to chapter 7, is God begins with the spiritual man. I think that's important for us to take a note of. And I want you to look with me this morning, this evening at chapter number 7, beginning in verse number 1, at, as we look at what is referred to as the spiritual man. Notice verse 1, Know ye not, brethren... For I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man. Now, let me say that again. While, she, while her husband liveth. Everybody see that? He says that she be married to another man while he's still living. She shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law, how? By the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to, what's that word? To him, and that's a reference to who? To Christ, who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto what? Unto death. But now, you ought to, if you underline or highlight in your Bible those two words there, because that's what it was before we were saved, but now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So when you look at these verses here, it's describing a saved person. Matter of fact, it calls them brethren. It's talking to saved people, and this is the Christian that is living the victorious Christian life. And when you come to this chapter, and he begins with the spiritual man, he begins, God gives Paul an illustration. And the illustration that he gives, if I wanted to categorize it, would be this matter of marriage and divorce. Would you agree with that? That's how he touches on in verse 2 and verse number 3. Now the chapter, listen, is not meant to be a lesson on marriage and divorce. It's an illustration that God gives here. This chapter is trying to illustrate, Paul's trying to with, with the Lord's leading him to explain that before we were saved, before we were saved, we were subject to the law. Before we were saved. 
Now, the analogy that God is giving us here is that even when we fail to keep God's law, and the Bible tells us that no one can keep all the law, but when we fail to keep the law, and the law is a type of the first husband. Remember when she was, if she's married to a husband, the law is a type of a first husband. So again, let me say this, when we fail to keep God's law, which is a type of the first husband, and we place ourselves, while we're still married to that, under the rules of another man, according to this passage, we are not free from the law of God. Okay, now put on your thinking cap. We're just going through this, but I'm just giving you really what God is saying here, simply that because we reject God's law, and, and we do oftentimes, because we reject his law, that does not set us free from it. In other words, just because she would be married to another while her husband's still alive doesn't free her from the law that she had with her first husband. Do you get the analogy tonight? Okay. And so again, oftentimes that's, that's what we do in our lives and we think it's okay. In other words, ignorance or as some people put it here, rejection is no excuse. You, you can't be ignorant to the fact that that first husband, that law is still there. He's still alive. He's not dead. The law is still there. You cannot ignore that it's there and marry yourself to another. Now, on the other hand, when that first husband dies, okay, here's what happens is that wife who was married to that first husband, she is now free to remarry. You see, when we were, before we got saved, we, we, the law was a part of our life, but everything changed because of Jesus. See, this woman that, that he's using here, she is not only free now because he's dead, that first husband in this, in this analogy, she's a type of the law. Now she is free to marry. She is no longer bound by the rule of her f- first husband that was set forth by her previous husband. Look back in verse number two again. Let's read it one more time so that you can, you can see what I'm saying tonight. Verse number two, the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, She is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Now, he's describing here and, and telling us that the law's authority, the authority that the law has over the believer, it died or it was fulfilled on the cross of Jesus Christ. When the Lord gave his life, the believer now, you and I that know Christ as our Savior, we are properly married to Christ, we are espoused to him, and we are no longer subject to the ceremonial laws that you see in the Word of God. The law's power over us ended with the death of Christ and our acceptance of him as our Savior. Look at Romans 8, 2 in your notes. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me, what? Free from the law of sin and death. Galatians 2, 19. For I, through the law, am dead to the law. 
that I might live unto who? That I might live unto God. Galatians 5.18. If ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. See, our responsibility to the law died when Jesus took our place. When Jesus died for our sins. Now, there are some today that teach and preach, just like we do, salvation by grace. They, they have that much correct. But here's the problem with some of their doctrine or their philosophy is, yes, they teach salvation by grace, but then what they do is they attempt to place those people that have been saved by the grace of God back under the law in order to stay saved. And there's a lot of people that believe that they have to do that. They have to keep the law in order to be saved. We were not saved by keeping the law. And you and I will not be able to live a victorious life either by keeping the law. You see, victory is in Jesus Christ. It's not by the law. It's by understanding that Jesus has set us free. And a man or a woman is not saved because they keep the law. And that same man or woman is not spiritual because of the law either. Our actions, what we do as Christians, should be the fruit of our spirituality, not a means to obtain it. Look at verse number four of our chapter tonight. Wherefore, my brethren, ye, are also, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. In your notes, notice 2 Corinthians 3, 6. The Bible mentions here about, it says, who also made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, talking about the law, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. So what he begins this chapter talking about these divisions of mankind is the first man that he addresses is the spiritual man, the one that is living a victorious Christian life, one that the, the law of the spirit of life is in Christ Jesus that has made us free from the law of sin and death. But notice the second category of man that he's talking about in chapter number seven is I would refer to as the natural man. Now, who is the, the spiritual man is a saved person. The natural man would be those that are lost in their sin. They're an unregenerate person. And there, there are so many in the world that fit into this category still that need to hear the gospel, that need to trust Christ as their Savior. This is one of our responsibilities, is to get the seed of the Word of God out into the, the, the field so that there would be a harvest of souls. And he, he describes the natural man, and he talks about how that this, this man is a lost man. Now, the spiritual man, as we just looked at, is somebody that's been delivered from the law. But the natural man is doomed by the law. What do you have to do after you're born to go to hell? Nothing. See, we are condemned already, according to John chapter 3, because of our sin nature. So instead of being delivered from the law, the natural man is doomed by the law. When you look at these verses that we're about to look at, I want you to notice as we read them, dealing with the natural man, that these verbs are in the, the verbs in these verses are all in the past tense. 
And because of that, they speak of our relationship with sin and the law. It's describing how we were before we got saved. The lost man is somebody that's always looking for an excuse to explain away sin. I've got an excuse for this, an excuse for that. And what does the law do when it comes to those excuses? The law exposes their sin. So notice as you look, you think about the natural man tonight, look at verse number seven. We see, first of all, dealing with the natural man, the doctrine of sin that he starts to describe as he, as he moves on from the spiritual man. Verse number seven, he deals with the natural man. Verse seven, it says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? And the answer to that is what? God forbid. Paul writes here, nay, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law has said, thou shalt not covet. It, that's the same true today. You ever been driving down one of the roads here in this area, and, and you don't see a speed limit sign, and you're like, I wonder what the speed limit is on this road. You ever done that? I have sometimes, especially when you see something with lights on top of the car. And so a lot of times I'm like, okay, I think it's 40, maybe it's 45. And so what I'll do is I'll find maybe a medium speed until I see a speed limit sign. And I'm like, okay, it's 45, I'm doing 55, I need to slow down, or I'm doing 30 and I need to speed up. Well, that's what Paul's writing here. He says, I, I, I had not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law has said, thou shalt not covet. Look at verse 8. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, sin wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. So he's describing here, dealing with the natural man, the doctrine of sin. He's explaining that we need to understand what sin is. And look, I've been saved now for 35 years, and it took me a long time. You can ask my wife how, how thick-headed and hard-hearted I was. I didn't really fully understand. There's a lot of people today that still do not understand the very doctrine, the teaching that the Bible talks about what sin is. So he talks about the doctrine of sin. Notice as we move on, he, he then deals with the dangerousness of sin, how dangerous it is. Look, if you play with fire, what's going to happen? You're going to get burnt. Sin is dangerous. The wages of sin is what? It's death. So look, look here in this, in this chapter, as he moves on, he talks about the dangerousness of sin. Look at verse number 10. He says, and the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found it to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and it did what to me? It slew me. See, sin is dangerous, folks. There's pleasure in sin for a season. Eventually, sin will catch up to you. The prisons are full today. There are many people that have already stepped out into eternity apart from God for all of eternity because it's dangerous to live a life of sin. And that's why we continue to preach the gospel. That's why we continue to give an invitation. That's why we continue to print gospel tracts. That's why we continue to go out 
and try to evangelize. That's why we continue to have missionaries that we support and have a missions conference. Why? Because sin is dangerous. And we need to understand not only what sin is, but what will happen if we continue in a life of sin. But then notice as he also talks about with the natural man, let her see the damning nature of sin. Look at verse number 12. The first word, wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy and just and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. So as you look at the, the, the full cycle of what sin does, Look, it's so important. If you have a, a friend, a family member, a co-worker, somebody that you know, an acquaintance that is not saved, you need to, there's an urgency that you need to talk to them about the Lord. Because listen, folks, we're not guaranteed of a tomorrow. We have, we, we have no idea when the Lord is going to come back. And listen, those that are still in sin, the natural man is somebody that is unregenerate. They have not put their faith in Christ. And the problem is not the law. The problem is with the sinful nature of mankind. So he describes the spiritual man, that is somebody that's, that is walking in the spirit, that is living the victorious life. Secondly, he talks about the natural man, that those that are lost, unregenerate, have not been saved. But then notice in, in the next part here, he shares as he concludes the chapter, the biggest portion with the carnal man. This is the third division of man that he gives. Now understand the carnal man or woman is a saved person. But this is a person that is walking by sight. They are somebody that is in all regards attempting to please God by keeping the law. In other words, they're trying to live their life being led by the flesh. Hold your place there and turn with me to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, would you? 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. I want you to see a couple verses here. 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. The Bible says here in verse number 1, And I, brethren... Could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto what? Carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. Paul says, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying, and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Now, again, in our life, what do we expect? Same thing we expect when we have children. We, we want to see our children growing. I remember when my granddaughter, they, they were kind of concerned she wasn't growing at the rate that they thought that she should be. And so my, my daughter and son-in-law took her to the hospital. They began to run a battery of tests on her. And uh, they, they discovered some things that were going on in her body. And 
and uh, they, got, they got the right formula, they got things going, and, and, and she's been growing now. And listen, I think that it, it, is, it is indicative of us as Christians, listen to me tonight, that we all need to be growing as Christians. It, it's time that if, if we've been sucking on the bottle spiritually, it's time to move on to some meatier things. I don't mean this bad, but sometimes, and I realize we're all at different places and maybe uh, how we receive things. I, I know that if I can put it this way, I'm not the sharpest tack in the drawer. A lot of times I really have to sit, and maybe some of you are like me, I really have to sit and meditate and think about things. I've never been one of those kind of people that as soon as I hear something, I just grab it and I've got it. I have to spend a little bit more time, and <clears throat> some people are like that. Other people, they, they, they honestly kind of make me sick because they get it so fast. But it doesn't matter where you're at. The main thing is, is that we're growing as Christians. Now, some people grow at a, at a faster rate than others. And again, uh, when, when we think about that, you're accountable for what we have knowledge of. But the one thing is, is that, as Paul said, I'm, I'm pressing toward the mark. He says, I've not yet apprehended. In other words, he says, I'm still growing. Now, that was Paul that said, I'm still growing as a Christian. I don't think there's anybody in here that has arrived, that knows all the Bible, that knows everything in the Word of God. But, but understand tonight that as you look at this portion of Scripture, that Paul's describing Christians. I don't know how long they've been saved. But he says, listen, I, I want to talk to you as spiritual people. But he says, you're yet carnal. He says, you, you continue to live your life according to the flesh instead of allowing yourself to be led of the Spirit. Look, look take your Bible. Turn over a couple uh, more pages in your New Testament. Go to Galatians 5 tonight. Look at Galatians 5. I, I hope you understand my heart on this. Because look, I'm, I'm talking about myself too. All of us need to be growing in, in, our, in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at Galatians 5. Look down at verse number 16. The Bible says, as he writes here, This I say then, walk in the what? And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the what? The flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary. He says, contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if you be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now look at these couple statements I gave you here. Just trying to help you, you get a hold of this tonight. Notice we've talked about three different divisions of mankind. The spiritual man, I said, is delivered from the law. The natural man is doomed by the law, but look at the carnal man. The carnal man is defeated by the law. The carnal believer is one that is living without victory. They are saved, yes, but they are being controlled by the flesh. The lost man, look at it, the lost man is condemned by the law. In other words, he lives his life, continues to live his life as a slave to the law and to sin. The natural man, the unsaved man. 
The spiritual man is freed from the law. He is free to do what? And this is where a lot of people don't get this. This is the Christian life. We are free from the law to serve Christ. Paul uses these words that he was a bond slave. That's not a bad word. Hey, listen, for all he's done for me, that's the least I could do is serve him. I owe everything to Jesus. So understand, he says that the spiritual man is freed from the law. Why? So that we can serve him. But look at this, the carnal man is frustrated by the law. Why is he frustrated? Because he serves God, yes. There's a lot of Christians that are in churches and and, and so on. They're serving God, but they're doing it because they feel like they have to instead of that they want to. You see, this carnal person, this carnal man or woman is frustrated by the law. They allow themselves to remain under bondage. And when you look at people that are living a carnal life, living a life according to the flesh, they're not happy people. Matter of fact, they're miserable because they're living their lives according to the flesh. He finds little or no joy in serving Jesus. He's not living a life that is blessed by God. Because after all, God knows our hearts. So when I look at this carnal man, notice letter A, I see a struggle, as Paul writes, a struggle that's clearly seen. Look in verse 14. We're just going verse by verse right down through here, but this is the remainder of chapter number 7, dealing with the carnal man. So follow along with me back in Romans chapter number 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but notice he says, but I, Paul's writing, he says, I am carnal, sold under sin. I mean, for Paul to write those words. Now, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, but notice the personal pronoun, I. Paul says here in verse 14, I am carnal. There was a struggle in Paul's life. And again, that struggle is real for me, and I'm sure it's real for many of you tonight. And I see not only a struggle clearly seen, but secondly, I see a struggle carefully surveyed. If you look in verses, and we'll look at it here, verses 14, 15, 16, and 17, there is the repetition of one word. Let's see if you, if you see it there. Three times, verse 14, for, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin, for that which I do, I allow not, for what I would, that do I not, but what I hate, that do I. If I then do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now when it is no more, he says, then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Did you notice three times the repetition of the word for? He said it in verse 14, verse 15, twice in verse number 15. So he's talking here about this struggle that was going on and how Paul understood how real it was in his life. Notice the three areas that we see the struggle existing. It's, first of all, in conflicting potentialities. There, there were these, every believer, when you think about this, all of us have that old nature, that Adamic nature. Uh, we're born in that uh, sin with that nature that we received from Adam, and that nature, the old nature, does nothing that's right. 
But when we get saved, we receive a new nature, God's nature, and that is a nature, listen, God's nature is something, it's a nature that can do nothing wrong. And as Paul's describing it here, talking about the conflicting potentialities, these two natures are at constant conflict with each other. They are incompatible and they are, irre- uh, uh, they are irreconcilable. In other words, you have the old nature and the new nature, and they're constantly at each other. And this is the battle that Paul's describing. The struggle exists not only in conflicting potentialities, but look at this. It, the struggle exists, secondly, in conflicting purposes. Look at verse number 18. For I know, look at that word there, I know, Paul says, that in me... Now, other people may not have known this, but Paul says, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. For the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if if I do that I would not, it is no more... I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. You know, what what mankind looks at and what man sees as the word here, good, is really not good at all. You ever see somebody trying to justify themselves? Try to justify the sin in their lives? And, And he's describing what he says is good. Now, nothing can be good that comes from a life that is out of bounds or out of touch with God. Why? Because the carnal nature, the carnality of us desires to have two different qualities of life at the same time. And this is not possible as you try to live the Christian life. There would be a conflict of purpose. In other words, am I going to do what God wants me to do or am I going to do what the flesh wants me to do? So there was conflicting potentialities, there was conflicting purposes, but notice the struggle also existed in conflicting principles. As we continue, look at verse 21. The Bible, Paul writes, I find then a law. In other words, all this conflict going on, Paul says, I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Now Paul sees here, as he's talking about these conflicting principles, Paul sees two spiritual laws or two authorities that are at work. Notice the one he mentions is the law of God. This is, of course, because it's the law of God is holy, it is just, and it is good. It's the law of God. Paul sees that law of God, but then he also sees a second spiritual law or an authority at work, and that is the law of sin and death. Now, this is, again, this is what Adam placed on us, if you go all the way back to Genesis, where Adam sinned in the garden, that, that, that fell to every one of us, that sin nature, the law of sin, explains why people do the things that they do, is because we are sinners by nature. 
And it's at the very root, sin is at the very root of all behavioral problems. I mean, they try to paint it and call it all different kinds of things. But folks, you just need to cut away everything, get rid of all the fat, and realize that it's just sin. That's what God calls it. It's at the root of every problem. And Paul finds that while the law of God points him heavenward, and that's what it will do, he also finds that the law of sin will pull him downward or pull him toward hell. So do you see the pull in Paul's life? Just like in your life, is the law of God is trying to get us to look unto Jesus. It's trying to get us to live for God, but the law of sin is trying to pull us down. That's why the devil works so hard, because he doesn't want us to do the things of God. He'd rather us do the things of this world, the things that the flesh so enjoys. Paul sees these two authorities, and then notice next he sees two principles, and these principles that he describes here are principles that are at work within himself. In other words, there's an internal battle going on here. There's a war that's taking place, and it's taking place inside of us. Now, again, there's war going on in the world, but Paul's describing something that's personal. It's up front. It's close in his life. And I'm sure you could probably say, Pastor, I've been struggling with some things in my life, too. And notice as he describes these two principles, the first one he describes as the law of his mind. Now, the mind is a powerful thing. Look what it says again in verse number 25. It says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord... So then with the mind, he says, I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh, he says, I serve the law of sin. So as he describes these two principles that are working within him, he talks about the law of his mind. As in, he talks about the inner man. He says, I delight to do the law of God. That, that ought to be the goal of every Christian is to be more like Jesus every day. Uh, to, listen, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. People need to, Christians need to think like Jesus. Like the old, I don't know if they're, st- they're still using that, but years ago they came out with a WWJD. What would Jesus do? And, and that's, that's the law Paul's describing here, the law of my mind. And Paul says, my inner man, I delight to do the things of God. His, his mind, the, the law of his mind. But the other principle that he sees at work within himself is the law in his members. Go back to verse 23. I, he, he writes, I see another law in my members. And notice these two words, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members now when you see this law that he's describing here i really believe that it's identical to what he described earlier as the law of sin so the law in his members is really the law of sin it's it's the law of sin that keeps asserting itself in the members of a believer's body sometimes what we do is Maybe it's oftentimes involuntarily, but have your eyes ever looked to lust on something? Have your ears ever strained to hear something that was improper? Sometimes something, as we say, slips out of our mouth or off of our tongue. Again, we may not intend to do it. We may allow some gossip, whatever it may be, 
But what happens is, is that the law of sin continues to assert itself in the members of a believer's body. And so when you think about this, there's a, almost like a gulf, uh, there's a chasm that Paul's describing here between what the law demands and what the flesh can produce. Look at verse 24, what he says here again. He says, O wretched man that I am. With all the conflicts, Paul says, you know, I want to serve God. I want to live a life that's pleasing to God. And, and, and he's like so many, he's being pulled from both directions. Now, it's not, again, I don't think it's this way. I think it's this way. Because I really believe that God wants, with, the, with his law, to pull us toward himself, whereas the law of sin is pulling us away from God. And that's why he writes here, is he, he's being pulled. He says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? When I think of those words there, there's only one thing that God can do to this flesh that we struggle with, and that is God put it to death. God put the flesh to death. He did that how? Because he identified us with Christ in his death. When he died, we died with him. When he rose, we rose with him. So again, this is not a new subject that, that he's addressing. He's just talking about the struggle, the war that is going on within himself. The flesh is hopelessly corrupt. It produces nothing that is acceptable to God. Our hope is escape from the way that we want to live our lives according to the flesh and live our lives the way that God has appointed us to live. So he describes a struggle scene. And then he talks about a struggle that he has surveyed. He has seen this going on within himself. And then notice letter C, he talks about a struggle that has been completely spanned. Because when you get to the end of Romans chapter number 7, Paul's kind of like so many of us sometimes, it's like he's at the end of himself. He's looking back over his life and he's thinking to himself, boy, I haven't been a very good Christian. I've, I've, I've failed the Lord in so many ways and I should be farther down the road in my Christian life. I, I really haven't grown the way that I should. There are times when I get upset and I blow up and I get in the flesh. And Paul it says here, look, I, I, I see a way of escape though. There's a way out. And he describes it again in verse number 25. Look at it. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The way of escape is that Jesus has provided a way that on the cross, Jesus dealt effectively with the problem of sin. And Jesus dealt effectively with the problem of Satan. And Jesus dealt effectively with the problem of self. So when you look at the summary of Paul's struggle, which I believe is not just Paul, I think it's all Christians, you know, in your life, maybe more or less, but look at this. First of all, sin dwelt in him. That's what he says. But even though sin dwelt in him, he still delighted in God's law. Hey, listen, I, from time to time, we might, we might fail the Lord, but look, I, my heart, like David's, is I delight to do God's will. Even though from time to time sin dwelt in him, notice his will 
the will that Paul had was powerless against sin. I mean, you look back at some of these verses, again, he says, verse 19, for the good that I would, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. And you can read this chapter over and over and over again. What is he describing? How his will was powerless against sin. The sinful self that he's describing was not his real self. He says that it was not me. It was the sin that was dwelling in me that was causing me to do these things. And then notice there was deliverance. And how was that deliverance? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Aren't you glad for the, for the Lord Jesus Christ tonight? You know, faith is the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look, the, the struggle is real. There's a war going on. And the war might be from, you know, this nation against this nation. And it might be over this or that or whatever. But I'm going to tell you something. When you and I got saved, yes, we were saved by the grace of God. We're saved for all of eternity. But listen, again, that doesn't mean that it's going to be an easy life. That's why I'm so glad that I have the Lord in my life. That even though the struggles come, as Paul says here, he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I'm glad for Jesus. Because, again, the Lord can overcome anything. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we ought to take great hope in that. When we come to Romans chapter number 8 next week, the last of this portion in the book of Romans, we're going to go to the mountaintop of the book of Romans, and we're going to talk about there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. What a great chapter that will be. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to study your word tonight. And I know that uh, some of this uh, last few weeks, Lord, there's been a, a rich doctrinal portion of the word of God, but we need this, this spiritual meat, Lord, to help us, to strengthen us, so that we can understand not only what sin is, what sin can do. And Lord, we that have been saved by the grace of God, Lord, may we, we live our lives in such a way that we, we have uh, been given the victory through Jesus Christ. But when times do come that we struggle, Lord, that we would keep our eyes on you, that we would always allow you to pull us toward yourself instead of allowing ourselves to live in the flesh and to be drawn back into the world. Lord, help us to help those that don't understand. May your Holy Spirit give us understanding from this chapter tonight, and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.